Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. I hate to sound like a broken record listener, but here's why the martini is such a great drink. (laughs) Just kidding. I actually wanted to spend this intro talking about why the Negroni is overrated. Okay, I'm kidding again. In reality, I want us to turn our gaze once more to scotch, more specifically, scotch cocktails in the lack thereof from a classics perspective. Now, it seems like every time scotch comes up in this show, the conversation inevitably heads in that direction. And while I have some theories on why that might be the case, it shouldn't detract from the fact that the handful that are out there already are absolute Bobby Dazzlers. Including, indeed, the Bobby Burns itself, as well as the Rusty Nail, Blood and Sand, and Penicillin. Those are all fodder for future episodes, because this week we're returning to a conversation we had over a year ago with Adam Montgomery, the bar manager at Hawksmoor, New York City. That episode, which you may have missed, focused on perhaps the world's best-known scotch cocktail out there, the Rob Roy. It's a Manhattan-made-with-scotch listener, but it's also so much more. And it's coming your way via the show iTunes reviewers are calling an audio cocktail book. It's the Cocktail College podcast, you wee raj. It's an all Scottish affair today. It is. At Cocktail College. <laughs> yeah. Adam Montgomery, welcome. Thank you. Um, of course, today's drink is the Rob Roy a Scotch yeah. cocktail. Cannot wait to dive into that. But before we do, I have a little surprise for you. Yeah. Something to taste along the way that's absolutely <laughs> non-alcoholic. Something quite special. Given today's Scottish theme, and these are plugged from my own supply. <laughs> So for those listening at home who cannot see, what do you have there in front of you? I have Iron Brew in a can as well. A can of Iron Brew. This is hard to get here. So before we go any further, can you just explain what Iron Brew is for our our mainly American audience here? That's a lot of pressure, that question. It's the National Soft Drink of Scotland. It's... um, I don't even really know how to describe it. It's something. <laughs> it's just something you grow up with. It's yeah, Br- bright orange and delicious. Hangover cure. Hangover cure. Elixir. Yeah, ne- never should be mixed with alcohol. No, <clears throat> that's one thing not. I would say for sure. Uh, but yeah, this is a wonderful this drink. Is, this, this, I haven't had it for ages actually. And do you know what's special about the two cans that I pulled out today? Let's crack those open. These are coming from my own personal supply at home. These are the last two cans I have in my wine fridge. Cheers. Cheers, Slanja. And these are pre-recipe change. So a couple of years ago, for those listening, <clears throat> Scotland, I think, introduced some new taxes yeah, where, yeah. you know, limiting the amount of sugar. These are pre-recipe change. These are the last two from my personal collection. Wow. Mm. What an absolutely wonderful drink it is. It just tastes like home. What, just tastes what, like... what a lovely surprise. <laughs> I need a fish supper now as well. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I couldn't get any square slice, I'm afraid. But, you know, maybe next time. <laughs> but, of course, we are chatting a scotch-based cocktail today. Yep. We'll get into this, but I think very notable that there, there really aren't many. So I felt like, and this is definitely the first we've done here on this show. So yeah. who else could I invite on but yourself? But to bring some other folks up to speed that maybe aren't as familiar with the Rob Roy, in simple terms, what is this drink and um, when does it hail from? Yeah. So I think that the 
easiest way to describe it is is a Scotch Manhattan. You know, that's that's kind of I think where it came from. Um, I did a little bit of research before coming on and just sort of had a look at some of the his, sort of history stuff. Um, and I think like so many classic cocktails, no one really knows where exactly it came from. Um, definitely sort of like 1890s, so, so kind of like just after the Manhattan. And I think it makes a lot of sense that people were making Manhattans with American whiskey. You know, blended Scotch whiskey was becoming a bigger and a bigger thing, particularly in the United States. Um, so why not put that in, see what happens, and, and there you go, you've got a delicious drink. I think there is a couple of... There's one theory that it was a bartender at the Waldorf Astoria around 1894. Um but again, kind of unproven. And there was another one I read about as well where there was a, a competition running a newspaper and it was a bartender from New Jersey um, came up with this drink. But again, there's no actual records of that. So I think, yeah, like a lot of these drinks, just evolution. Evolution, you know, that, yeah. That, yeah that and the Manhattan's such a classic formula, you know, it really is plug and play, right? You remove yeah. one ingredient there, yeah. Yeah. whiskey, um, you replace it with scotch, and we're going to get into that ingredient more and, and, and look more, I guess, you know, like the ideal scotch for this. But before we do that, just just to that point as well, the fact that, honestly, there really aren't that many classic scotch cocktails, and should we also gain learn something from the fact that this has its origins in America as well? Like, why do you think there aren't more scotch classics and... Does that speak to just drinking culture there in the way Scotch has been viewed throughout time? Yeah, I think um, I think firstly it's a shame there's not more Scotch uh, classic cocktails um, because it's personally, and I think a lot of people get it's a wonderful spirit to use in drinks. Um, I think yeah, like I wonder if part of that comes from this idea of of you know Scotch should be drank on its own, drank neat. Um, and and just wasn't viewed as a, as a as a spirit that that was used in cocktails. I guess if you look at cognac as well, there's not that many classic cognac cocktails. There's some, maybe maybe more than scotch, but maybe it's when things are looked at as a, as a premium or or a certain level, um, then they're, they're they're just get overlooked for cocktails. And I guess maybe price as well would be yeah kind of a barrier to that as well. Yeah, and then I guess some great points you mentioned there, you know, just this this reputation that maintains, right? Some folks, when they talk about how they drink their scotch and maybe they add a little bit of water or, you know, heaven forbid they put it over ice, you know, people feel like they have to apologize for that in a way. Yeah. Like it's 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 kind of maybe a little bit more sacred than, than yeah. an American whiskey. So yeah. perhaps that comes into it too. There's also the flavor profile. I mean, you mentioned cognac. I would argue that cognac's definitely more challenging in some ways than an American whiskey, but perhaps sweeter than scotch. But, yeah. you know, bourbon, for example, is it, it's sweeter than scotch, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And I think it, uh, I guess it does lend itself to, to, to mixing more. And I think as well, that idea of, you know, America being the home of cocktails, really, you know, there's, there's different parts of that story in different places, but really, I guess the cocktail being an American invention, you know, you, you're going to use what you have close to hand, yeah. um, whatever's cheapest as well. And, and I think bar managers throughout history have had that, you know, that's been a focus um, to, to make to make sure the the profit margin's right. Yeah. Um, 
So I guess that would definitely contribute to that as well. All that, all about that bottom line. Yep, yep. Um, what about what about in today's day and age, though? So you know, I think that drinkers and bartenders as a whole, as, as two groups, were more adventurous. Um, is this a cocktail that gets called out a lot, though? And do you have it on your your own menu, for example, or do you have you know specs for it that you have in house, but maybe it's not quite deserving of a place on the menu? Yeah, I think um, I personally think it's a great drink. In all the time I've been bartending, which is 22 years now, um, just terrifying. Um, <laughs> it's not a drink that gets, gets you know, guests don't walk in and call it a lot. Um, if you compared it to, say, a Manhattan, it would be, I, I don't even know, what, a thousand to one, something, <laughs> something like that. But it's it, it's a good drink, I think, if you're talking to a guest, you ask a few questions, what kind of things do they like? Uh, what kind of spirits do they like to drink and then you can lead them down that path uh, we we have a classic spec in house for it but like I say we don't we don't sell a lot of them mm-hmm. um, maybe slightly more because I'm there maybe yeah yeah. <laughs> and some points to add on to that I guess first of all what was it like in Scotland though because obviously okay we're talking American creation but the one that celebrates Scottish ingredients um, from your time working there, I know before you moved to, so you started out in Edinburgh, right? Yeah. And then yeah. and then you moved to London with the Hawksmoor yeah. Group, and yeah. then ultimately here to New York. But yeah. was it a drink that gets ordered a lot in Scotland too, or is it again just not not really the case? Not not even no not 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 at all. And I I think that's actually an interesting point to Scotch whiskey. I think we don't actually drink that much Scotch in Scotland. Yeah. Which I think a lot of people will be surprised about. I I certainly grew up. Um, it it wasn't really a thing, and then you you know you start drinking, you start going to to pubs and bars, and then you you get into the industry. It just wasn't a, a huge category. I think it's I think it's bigger now than it's ever been. Yeah. Um. But it's it's and and I think surprisingly just not maybe not as um not as loved as it should be. Yeah. Um. Which is a shame. But I think you see a lot of places now, particularly like good cocktail bars in say Edinburgh or Glasgow really sort of embracing it and I think there's more of a kind of sort of look to embrace Scottishness Mm -hmm. I think which is be it food or drink which I think is a really good thing Mm -hmm. Speaking of which this cocktail is named the Rob Roy after Rob Roy McGregor can you tell our listeners who that is in case they haven't done their history Yeah a a famous Scottish outlaw um, famous for famous for stealing cows um, (laughs) and being involved in uh, Jacobite rebellions I think the the drink itself was actually named after an after a Broadway show um, about Rob Roy's life, mm-hmm. um, which was I, th- I think I think it was a bit of a hit. I don't think it was the biggest show of its time, uh, but yeah, it was uh, the drink was named after after, after that the show. show. Yeah, which yeah. again brings that kind of American uh, you know American twist to this drink as well. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering whether the world is missing an opportunity for a William Wallace cocktail. Is that? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen I've seen a drink called a William Wallace before. Yeah. I think it was done a few years ago for a, a cocktail competition in the UK, and I remember. I'm pretty sure I remember seeing that. Yeah, uh, but yeah. <laughs> Another famous Scottish outlaw there, and one thing to note, you know, Liam no- Liam Neeson plays Rob Roy, Mel Gibson plays William Wallace. Both pretty bad Scottish accents, but whose is better? <laughs> oh, that that's that's a difficult question. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Liam Neeson. I think Liam Neeson, being what Northern Irish, like has a big yeah. advantage when it comes to nailing it down. But I was having a look on YouTube earlier and was surprised <laughs> at just like 
doesn't seem to put much effort into trying yeah. to sound Scottish. <laughs> there we go. Another thing, just to, to speak about, you know, your current position, because, you know, we mentioned you, you came over here from, from London and yeah. working at a very successful steakhouse group. Yeah. But, of course, the, the steakhouse concept is, again, another one of these very, very American approaches to, to hospitality, yeah. one in which you'll find wonderful cocktails. Um, what's it like for yourself as someone who has trained in the UK, then coming over here and, and, and also ultimately like launching a, a, a British imagination of this very American concept? Um, it's been amazing, to be honest. I think um, some, something that's, that's really important for myself is, is kind of like always learning. And I think when you do when you do a certain job for a while, it, it can become harder and harder to learn. And when the opportunity arose to like to 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 basically move um, my life from from the UK to, to to New York, sort of jumped at it, and um, it's just been it's been brilliant. It's been like learning my job all over again. Um, yeah. And is that what down to like the guests and what people are expecting and what moves compared to the UK it, market? I think all of that stuff. I think um, I think the you know the UK and the US are very similar, but at the same time they're very different. Yeah. You know, down to, to little cultural things, down to language. You know, the amount of times I say things at work and everybody's like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> um, even down to you know tiny little words, bin and trash can, things yeah, things like that. Yeah. You know, um, but it's it, it's nice to have to like kind of learn my job again. You know, liquor laws are different here. How how suppliers and distributors and brands all work. Just building relationships as well with people, um, but it, it's it's been amazing, you mm -hmm. know. And it, it, it's, I think, if you're involved in bars and cocktails, who wouldn't want to be in New York? Yeah, you know, it's it, it's kind of like we talked about. It's kind of the home. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and 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 to do what we do as well um, in terms of being a steak restaurant, but also bring in kind of our approach to drinks and our approach to hospitality and 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 what we've. So what we've tried to do, and 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 I think people seem to really be enjoying it, and yeah. and, and and sort of like what we're doing, which is which which is awesome. Can absolutely attest to that, and urge folks to check out yourselves at Hawksmoor there if they're based in New York or visiting. It's a wonderful, yeah, a wonderful evening will be had. Thank you. Um, and I think that's a that's also very relevant to the drink that we're talking today, right? The Rob Roy being that riff on a Manhattan, like this is a classic drink for that setting um if someone's making one for you or you're making one yourself what's your most important consideration when it comes to the, like the final profile what are you looking for so i think with this drink it's all about the whiskey you you've only three ingredients sweet vermouth um bitters and then the whiskey and i think so much of the flavor so much of of what that drink's about comes down to which whiskey you use um and I actually, this is what I think makes this drink so special, is the the breadth of of flavor profiles that's that exists within Scotch whiskey. That's where you can have the fun with this drink. You know, there's there's you start off with some super lighter blends or even a grain whiskey, um, and go right through to a an aged Isla single malt. You know, it's it they're completely different. They're not even in some ways the same drink yeah um and that's where the fun with the rob roy is and that's where you can you can really play around you can find what's what's delicious you can try so many different combinations mm -hmm. um without having to really think about changing any other component 
And so that's ultimately when when you're approaching this, when maybe you're you're dialing in your you know your your standard specs for for a restaurant or a bar, you're going scotch first, and then you're making other decisions based upon that, right? Your, yeah. your what vermouth yeah. ultimately kind of complements the scotch. Yeah, and I think the vermouths are quite an interesting one because a few years ago with with Hawksmore in London, we did a lot of um, a lot of blind tasting to find what would be our house sweet vermouth. Um, and everybody was bringing sort of really interesting things and everyone had what they thought was the, the answer to that question. And when we did blind tasting, every single cocktail that we did across every single person came back with the same result, and that was Martini Rosso. Wow. Yep. That's yep. incredible. Yep. And I think it's very interesting to note that as well because I think – if you do the blind tasting of the vermouth alone, it's probably not the one that gets picked. Yeah, yeah. With with no disrespect, yeah. but it, it it maybe doesn't have the complexity or or maybe the concentration or depth of some of the other yeah. you know widely available ones. Yeah. Let's not get into even just like niche ones. Yeah, but that speaks to its role in this drink. Yeah, I think it, it's just so versatile. It's light. It's bright. It just plays well with other things. Um, and and like I say, as much as everybody came with with other brands, they thought this is the one. This is the this is the cooler one. This is the one that that you know you see in more bars. But it just tastes best. Yeah. It just works across the board. And I think I think when you're making cocktails, you know, you, you need something like that. In a, especially in a in a a busy restaurant bar setting, you know, you need something that works well in a in a Negroni in a Manhattan in a Rob Roy, yeah. in an Americano, whatever it is. And, and and for us, and and personally for me as well, I think Martini Rosso's the one. Yeah, and also, you know, let's talk about, like, classic, iconic ingredient. Also, good on the bottom line that we spoke about, you know, it's, it's ultimately... <laughs> that it always it, helps. It really does, doesn't it? And, <laughs> yeah. and if you're slinging a lot of these drinks, you know, it, it, if that works on the flavor profile and works on the, on the budget, then that's amazing. Yeah. It's a win-win. Yeah. So let's take a, a little step back again and, and and look a little bit more in depth at Scotch. Yeah. Because um, as you mentioned, it's it's almost unfair to call this even just like one style of whiskey because yeah. there's there's so many different styles. Let's start by asking, or, or, or let's start by exploring what you think works best in this drink and while from a stylistic standpoint. So, what works best in this drink? That that's. That's a really tough question, actually. Um, yesterday, I was I was in work yesterday, and in preparation for today, um, we made a whole bunch of Rob Roy's um, to taste them side by side, um, and to to just jump a little bit further back, actually, what what really made me fall in love with this drink um, was uh, a night out I had in Edinburgh several several years ago. Um, I, I, you know, I'd tasted Rob Roy's and, and, and had them. I hadn't thought massively about it. And then one night I'd gone out with a good friend who works in the, the wine industry and uh, went into a, a good bar in Edinburgh. And he uh, he's like, I'm going to grab some drinks. I was like, cool. And he came back with two, what I, I thought were Manhattans off the bat. And he was like, no, it's uh, Rob Roy's. Um, and the whiskey he'd used in that was Lagavulin's 16-year-old. Wow. Um, which is actually as well a whiskey that, and, and strangely as well, really got me into whiskey. Um, I, I drank a few things, and then and then when I discovered that, which doesn't happen for everybody because it's an, an absolute, you know, 
flavor bomb. Yeah. Um, but this yeah, is a peated single malt. Yeah, yeah, really, really good. Um, pound for pound, one of the best you can you can buy mm-hmm. if you can buy it, which you can't at the moment. So no. we, we haven't had it for for about three months now. Um, but when you can get it, it's incredible. Um, and yeah, like this this Rob Roy was just just unbelievable. Um, how good it was, and and that just kind of really at that point just changed it for me and just made me think about all the different you know combinations of whiskies you could use in this drink. Um, and yesterday we we sort of um, we made a few. We did uh, we did a Johnny Walker Black Label, um, we did a Kleinleash fourteen year old, and we did a Glen Farkless twelve year old. So the Johnny will be the Johnny, of course, will be you know your classic yeah. blended whiskey. Yeah. And what about those other two? So so the Kleinleash fourteen, so so single malt single malt from the north of Scotland, much sort of fruitier in character, um, and then the Glen Farkless is that sort of rich sherried style. Yeah, and we wanted to sort of compare the three. And it was actually really interesting. Um, the Johnny Walker Black one was delicious. Again, like a little bit like, I guess, maybe Martini Rosso in that it's just an amazing all-rounder. Yeah. You can pretty much find it everywhere. Um, you know, delicious on its own, incredible in a highball, um, but makes good cocktails as well. Yeah. And and Rob Roy, was, it, was, it was lovely. Um, but it was the other two that sort of re- really stepped it up into something different. The biggest thing you notice first is body. So just that that weight and texture that comes from single malts, yeah, just really you know changed the drink into into something else. Um, and I kind of tasted it with all the team that were working, and everybody loved the Kleinleash fourteen year old one. Just those sort of fruity notes, the waxiness it has in the, in that body as well was just amazing. It's just an absolutely delicious drink. And the Glenfarclas twelve was good as well, but in a very different way. Yep, thinking of those sort of like dark notes, it had sort of like a little bit of coffee chocolate um flavor mm-hmm. to it and, and just delicious but it it really highlighted you know the difference yeah um and it was great for the people i worked with who maybe hadn't done that before as well to sort of taste those side by side and see wow what a difference it actually makes yeah across the board that's so interesting and it is strange too because i think not strange but it's surprising maybe for some to hear because that kind of sherried style of scotch that's you know so popular these days yeah you might say is almost closest in some respects to to a, an american style whiskey in, yeah. in that richness the, yeah. some of the sweetness you get from the finish yeah but it's interesting to to say that people gravitated towards the other which also makes sense because we're looking for a unique drink here yeah. right we're not yeah. looking for something that's trying to be a manhattan yeah. As much as it kind of, yeah, <laughs> I don't know, goes down that that goes down that um, formula. Yeah. Speaking of which, um, actually, first I was gonna I was gonna dive into ratios, but yeah. before we do, um, what about bitters here? Because you know that's the final in, that's the final ingredient. Um, how much experimentation do you like to have with that yourself? Yeah, I think you definitely can. Um, for for our standard spec, we just stick with Angostura, um, but. You definitely can have some fun here as well. Um, Peychaud's Bitters works incredibly well with Scotch whiskey. Um, it just 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 plays so nicely with it, and 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 that would be definitely a, another go to for a Rob Roy. But you can start to have some fun as well, and you can you can throw orange bitters or chocolate bitters or whatever it was, and it, it just comes down to experimentation again with the whiskey you're using, and then trying to pair the bitters. Um, but I think you know. It's always good to have a, a have a standard to fall back to, and and Angostura just works. It it works amazing. And for those listening who you know 
see bitters in recipes and they use them, but maybe it's one of those things that we're adding to cocktails, but not everyone knows why. Yeah. What would be your philosophy or what is your philosophy when it comes to experimentation there? Are we looking to complement or contrast? I think it depends on the drink. I think it's a little bit, you know, the the, the old sort of, um, I guess, slightly cliched uh, reasoning is it's it's kind of seasoning for drinks. Um, and it definitely is. And, and sometimes it can be super noticeable. Um but other times it, it 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 might not be, but it can also be just that little pop that kind of brings everything together, and it, it's not always um, something you can explain. Just you know, a, a, a dash of bitters can make a difference, and I guess that's where like cooking it can be just like the salt and the pepper. Yeah, just that little bit can just make such a difference. I think it's a great point there because it's very easy to taste something that's over salted, right? Or we yeah. we know what salty tastes like. Yeah. We know what peppery tastes like too, but I would argue that maybe a lot of cooks just sort of add it and add more and more these days because yeah. you see chefs on TV doing yeah. it. But um, when I used to work as a professional chef, I think that was the one aspect of seasoning that that was took me longer to learn was like, what is the right amount of yeah. seasoning of pepper and, and why, right? Like you don't ultimately want to taste it. So I think yeah. it's interesting with the bitters there, you know, the fact that this is an ingredient, it's a powerful but it's something that can tie everything together. Yeah, yeah. And I think, it, like, the most important thing with any drink is balance. And it's it, it's just tied into that idea of of just making sure it, 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 it adds something or it brings balance to the drink. Um, and I think, like, like seasoning, you can overdo it or, you know, it can be, you can sometimes feel like it's missing. So it is, it's definitely an important ingredient. Mm-hmm. And speaking of that balance there, and, and, yeah, something I was thinking about when you mentioned the different scotches, is the ratio for this drink, right? So classically would be two to one scotch to the vermouth. Is that a a formula that you think holds up across the board regardless of which scotch you're reaching for? Yeah, I think so. I think um, you don't really know until you try. um, Yeah. Is what I would say. But I think, you know, originally um, the drink, and and again, like a lot of historical drinks, they started off um, with a higher proportion of vermouth. And then over time, that sort of dialed back and dialed back. Two two to one is definitely solid. It's going to work. Um, but I think you can start to, if you're trying different different uh, whiskies in there, you can play around with that. Especially if, say, you know, you were maybe using something like a cast strength whiskey. You could yep. then probably use less whiskey and a little bit more vermouth and it's going to work. But I think like two to one is like a really solid, tried and tested. It's, it's, it's pretty much going to work most of the time. Mm-hmm. It's interesting too that that cask strength, of course, is very very common in American whiskey, but not so much in Scotch classically. But I've I've, I've started to notice more and more entering the market these days. No, definitely, it's it's. I think with the, kind of the the growth in popularity of single malts, I think you you see it more and more. And I think you also see not even cask strength, but just higher ABVs. Yep. I think there's there's a lot of scotches that'll come out at fifty percent or a hundred proof now. Um, which is which you know if you think of a a, a regular blended whiskey is probably at forty percent, so it's ten percent more. So it's it, it, yeah. it's substantial, um, and and the cast strength thing is definitely, you know, creeping in more and more. I think whenever you see a special release from a distillery, it's you know more often than not now is it cast strength, which I think is a good thing. I think it's sometimes, you know, a seat in the restaurant it can be misunderstood. You know, you might say you might recommend water on the side with that, and somebody will say no. And I'm not sure where where's the enjoyment in drinking 
sixty percent alcohol. It's I, tough. I, it's tough. I love whiskey, but I, you know anything over forty six, I add water. Yeah, because it's just you know it's it's hard to get past that alcohol. You know, I want to enjoy the flavor more than the burn of the alcohol. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a great point and. One thing I've noticed as well that I think comes into this when I do sort of tasting work for Vine Pear is that I wonder whether a lot of those cask strength bottles perform well when it comes to like competitions and stuff because palate fatigue is real. Yeah. And if you taste 15, 20 scotches in a row that are around that maybe 43, 45 mark, and then suddenly you have one that's like 60, 62 you're getting more flavors because it's just, yeah, so impactful. Yeah. yeah. No, I think, I think it personally is like someone that really enjoys drinking, you know, neat Scotch whiskey or, or Scotch whiskey and water. Um, it is a good thing in that you can really control the, the flavors you want. You know, you can, whenever I'm adding water, I add drops at a time to get to a point where I'm like, wow, this tastes really good. And then whenever you talk to anybody that works in the industry in, in terms of actually producing whiskey, they they really water it down. They're yeah. down to about you know twenty percent, and it's just all about the flavor, um, which I think yeah it's definitely misunderstood, and I think actually even more so in this country. Even you know we would sell some some you know several high proof bourbons, and and generally people never ask for water. Yeah, and and that just always surprises me. I, I'm just like where's where's the enjoyment? You know, <laughs> but everybody enjoys different things. So I guess yeah. it's I'm very much like drink your whiskey however you want it. So. If that's if that's how you want it, then yeah, sure, go for it. But then again, if you're you know if you do go down that water route, then if you buy a bottle of sixty three percent whiskey, you're getting more than seven hundred and fifty mls because you can lengthen that out. That's, that, that, that's some water. It's, it's good, good value again. Good to be thrifty. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, interested just to touch upon again that first Rob Roy that you had, the Lagavulin sixteen. I mean, of course, I'm also a huge fan of that whiskey. Yeah. Um, do happen to have a small, small personal stock, so I might need to introduce you good, to that if you if you're wanting at the moment. <laughs> but um, I had not going into this conversation considered fully like the Isla and the and the peated what that might bring to this drink. But yeah. when I heard you talking about it, I was like, well, yeah, if we're going to differentiate, then it really does make sense to to go the whole hog and kind of also celebrate something that's not these days, but uniquely Scottish originally. Yeah, no, definitely. I think like, like I said earlier, that, that spectrum of flavor you have in, in Scotch whiskey is, is incredible. And I, and I, you know, I might be biased, but that, that's what I think differentiates Scotch whiskey to say bourbon or rye whiskey is, you know, the fact you don't have to age it in a brand new cask, you know, there, there's more, and again, I might be biased, but more nuanced to the flavor. And yep. I think like that, that spectrum you go across starting with, you know, if you picked up a just a, it's, it's rarer, but say a single grain Scotch whiskey, yep. then go through all the different styles of blends um, into like lighter single malts through into sort of like heavier, fruitier, into sherried and then into like smoky. There's so much there to 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 have and to play around with. Yeah. Um, and I think like... Um, just the the complexity of say something like Lagavulin sixteen, mm-hmm. just when it mingles with the the sort of botanical element of the sweet vermouth and that little pop from the bitters, just it, it, it's 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 delicious. It's so good. Yeah. Have, have you ever had a smoky cokey? I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a drink that like anybody that says you shouldn't mix uh, 
single malt whiskey needs to try a smoky coffee. <laughs> and that's just with Coca-Cola, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lagavulin and Coca-Cola. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. And one of those things that highlights too, yeah, just the versatility that you maybe don't expect because it's a challenging flavor profile. Yeah, I think um I think that, that that's when I'm talking to people who who are maybe a little bit on the fence with Scotch whiskey. I genuinely think you can find one for mm-hmm. everybody because there's such a such differences in there and you know th- there's just so much to play around with. Mm-hmm. It's kind it's kind of endless. Yeah. And while we're going down this well slight detour into peated scotch and 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 uses for it there um of course we can't ignore the 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 oyster luge can you explain that for us are you a fan of that yeah so so yeah just um if you're having some uh oysters pref- preferably scottish ones if you if you've got them or if you're there uh just pouring a little bit of whiskey into the into the shell with the oyster is just uh you know it's 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 unbelievable i think one of the nicest ones i've ever had was talisker yep i think talisker and and, and oyster um it's un- unbelievable. So you're doing that with the oyster and not after you've done the oyster to kind of wash out you, the you, shell? You, you could do both. You yeah. can do both. I've, I've, you know, I've, I've sort of done it both ways, but I think it do, it's very nice if you add it into the, yeah. just a, dro- a couple of drops in with the oyster. Very nice. Very tasty. And one more, one more hack that I have here. I'm not, I'm sure you probably are familiar with this one, but just um, always looking for ways to, to spice up my martini or whatever. Yeah. And, just a, a, a peated scotch rinse on the glass yeah, yeah. before the before pouring in the martini. Now you don't need a garnish, but maybe yeah. express and discard a lemon. Yeah. That's incredible. No, definitely. That's one we've done before. And either maybe you can do a, a rinse in a glass, you could do like half a teaspoon in the drink, or even a really nice way is um atomized over the top. Nice. It's really is is is, is really nice. Um and I, yeah, I think that's one that people maybe wouldn't think about, but yeah. it's a, it's it's a yeah, it's a game changer. It really is, especially if you you know we we often see that with um, absinthe and and you know that yeah. kind of profile can be challenging to some. Yeah, this is completely the other mm. end of the spectrum, but it's wonderful. Yeah, no, definitely delicious. Uh, final note on ratios here too. While we're on the the peated scotch, maybe also an opportunity for a split uh, split base here. You yeah. know, if you want to start to dial that in. Yeah. Split the split the two ounces between maybe starting with half an ounce of peated and then yeah. what would you go? Would you stick single malt for the other element there? Um, I, guess, I guess it's it's absolutely up to you. You know, you could if you, if you're adding a little bit, I think you could you could start with a with a good blended whiskey and add yeah, you know, quarter ounce, half an ounce, see where it takes you. Or you could, you know, go with two single malts and maybe go maybe go fifty fifty between them. I think again, it's just. Just try it. Yeah, give it, give it a go, and see and see what happens. <laughs> and I think some of those blends too, we should note as well. Some of them do have peat in there as yeah. well. Yeah, no, I think you, when you look at stuff like um, like the Compass Box range, yeah, you know, some of their whiskies are are, are are lots of their whiskies are awesome, and and I think really not necessarily designed, but you know, they think about cocktails at the same time. They tend to be a little bit higher in alcohol, um, and just mix really, really well. I think that the one that springs to mind is the the Glasgow blend, yeah, you know that's just a really, really elegant whiskey that just works in a lot of uh, mixed drinks. Yeah, and I think if you really want to ball out here, um, one thing I like to do, you know, that kind of week between sort of Christmas and New Year, yeah, yeah. I use that as an opportunity to pull the more expensive bottles off my my home bar shelf, yeah, and mix them in cocktails. And I love a Johnny Walker Blue. Uh, Rob Roy, it's nice. wonderful. It's a choice, and it's a nice excuse, you know, to to drink these things that sometimes we're 
a bit reluctant to to you know waste on the wrong occasion. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I think I think that it's a really nice thing to do, and I think it, it sort of harks back to that idea of you know it doesn't have to be drank neat. It really you know if, if you've spent your money on something, it it it's yours for however you want to enjoy it. Um, and you know if it's a two hundred dollar, three hundred dollar bottle of whiskey, and you want to make a cocktail with it, absolutely go for it. That cocktail is going to be delicious. Yeah. And I would argue as well, some folks are like, well, you, you, you lose the nuance. I think if you're spending that much, the, the spirit needs to be able to hold up and yeah, still shine yeah, in that yeah. drink. Ab- ab- absolutely. I think just just get stuck in and, and give it a go. <laughs> so imagine now we're at Hawksmore. We're actually not too far from there, you, yeah. physically speaking yeah. right now here in the Vinepair office. But um, imagine we're there. Imagine I'm ordering a, a Rob Roy from you. Can you take us through, again, reiterating uh, ingredients and ratios, but also the preparation and, and talk us through step by step? Yeah, so I think, that, you know, the, the, the first thing is always going to be a quick conversation about what do you like in terms of whiskey styles um, and really trying to figure out, you know, what what is it you're looking for? Um, once we've done that, um, it's just a very, very, very simple stirred drink. So we would do two dashes of bitters, um, an ounce of Martini Rosso, two ounces of the, the chosen whiskey, stirred down um, and then served in a Riedel Nick and Nora glass. And then the garnish is where you can kind of, I guess, think about the whiskey again a little bit. Um, our standard would be a, a cherry, a, a brandy cherry. Um, but this is where I think like the, the, the kind of little extra bit from, from, an, from an orange peel or a lemon peel, not even in the drink, you could just express the oils over the top you know, can really, really add to it. And I think back to like that example of like the Lagavulin 16, like a little bit of lemon oil over the top of that, just just really like sets the whole thing off. Yeah, makes it sing. Yeah, definitely. Amazing. Um, any other thoughts on on this cocktail preparation or, or kind of riffs? Well, I mean, it is a riff, uh, yeah. but there any aspects of the Rob Broy that you think we're, we're, we're missing up until this point? I think, I think it's, like you say, it's criminally underrated, you know, like, we sell so many Manhattans and, and practically, you know, unless it's recommended by a bartender, very few Rob Roy's. But I think just thinking about, you know, using different whiskeys um, and and just, you know, going to town with it and, and trying different things. And I think one thing I'd mention, I do, I know we're talking about the Rob Roy, but I do love a Bobby Burns. So just, you know, subbing out the, the bitters for, you know, a teaspoon or even half a teaspoon of Benedictine, just adds like another layer onto it that sort of um just just something extra to the drink as well and even more complexity um so yeah i think um people just need to drink more more, more scotch cocktails more scotch cocktails i'm absolutely here for that uh, but not iron brew with booze folks no, if you can never. get your hands on it over here <laughs> um Interesting that you mentioned the Bobby Burns too you know that that benedictine we recently um on this show covered the view carré yeah and it's it's it always surprises me how much of an influence that ingredient can have on cocktails in such small proportions. Yeah, it's very, it's very powerful. And, and, you know, the sort of herbs and spices that are in there, um, they really sort of shine through. And I think that the other thing it does, it, it you know, if you drink it on its own, it is sweet. And it is it does have a lot of body, which is another, you know, it can add like, an, an, I guess, another dimension to a drink as well with that, with bringing that extra body to it. But it... it it is powerful and it is, you know, yeah. it is a, it is a, 
I guess a very unique flavour as well. And you, you don't need very much of it in drinks. It's kind of, I mean, it doesn't taste in anything like Iron Brew, but it's kind of like Iron Brew where I, I, I don't know how to accurately describe what Benedictine yeah, tastes like yeah, without yeah. also maybe just like listing ingredients or, you know, yeah, formulas and things yeah, like that. But it's yeah. the overall effect is is something much greater than yeah. the sum of its parts. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's, it's like you say, it's one of these things you kind of have to taste it to really understand what it is. It's very hard to describe. This is what it tastes like. Yeah. You, just, you just have to try it. Try it. Try it in a Bobby Burns after you've knocked back your first Rob Roy. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adam, we're, we're going to move on to the, the, the second part of the show here. And we're going to get to know yourself a little bit more as a bartender and yeah. a drinker with our recurring questions. Cool. Ready for it? Ready. Okay, question number one. What style or category of spirit typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar? No no surprises here. Uh, whiskey. So we, <laughs> we, we have a lot of whiskey. Um, and again, no surprise, slightly more scotch than American. Um, and part of that's, you know, <laughs> just down to what I like. Yeah. But also the, 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 you know, the setting that we work in, brown spirits just work really well. Um, and just just nice to have like a really solid selection of stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's something I take a lot of pride in. Something I something I obviously enjoy. Um, but it's just I think you know the, the type of bar we have it, it it just works. Yeah, and and you know you have that opportunity to 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 push those products and and probably introduce a lot of folks to them that you already have some guarantee or probably, you know, have some interest in it already. So, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Great definitely. opportunity. And do you ever get guests, you know, calling out whether it's bourbon or scotch or, you know, asking for those more expensive bottles to be used in cocktails just to our conversation earlier? Yeah, no, I think um, I think here, like, people people are very open to that. And I think, you know, we work in a, in a restaurant where luckily I think, you know, the t- type of people that are coming in, you know, they're they're – they're there for a good time. They're not necessarily worrying about the cost of certain things. So yeah, we 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 make some we make some really nice, you know, particularly old fashions and and Manhattans with some really really nice whiskey, which which nice. which is great. You know, it's it's lovely to see it getting used in that way. Absolutely. And what's do you off the top of your head? Do you know maybe the most expensive bottle of whiskey that you poured into a cocktail today? I guess here in in, in New York. Um, we've definitely. I'm trying to think what the what would be here I think I've definitely seen a Balveni 21 year old uh, old fashioned which Ooh. is which is very nice and and absolutely delicious yeah um, and even you know we, we have some um, you know we have some Pappy Van Winkle and we, yeah. and we try and keep the price not, not too high um, we don't actually put it on our list because it would sell too quickly so we keep it on the bar <laughs> and just kind of hand sell it but we yeah we've done some old fashions with that as well I mean really great nice. tip for people listening here if you're listening if you're tuning in you know where to you know where the pappy's at now yeah, so. yeah I probably shouldn't have said that <laughs> <laughs> um, moving swiftly on then question number two which ingredient or tool do you think is the most <clears throat> undervalued in a bartender's arsenal so for me actually um, two parts of this answer it used to be creme de pêche okay um, you know, a teaspoon of creme de pêche in a drink just nine times out of ten just makes it taste better. Uh, but actually, at the moment, I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with Payroll de Vie. Oh, okay, yeah, works just in so many different drinks. Just add in, you know, it could be half a teaspoon up to you know a quarter of an ounce. It just it's like that idea of um, bartender's ketchup. Yeah, just it just adds something else to the drink. Plays with plays so well with 
lots of different base spirits and just generally just makes things taste better. Absolutely amazing. Um, St. George, you familiar with St. George's? Yep, they have a yep, wonderful one. Yeah, yeah. We use um, we use Clear Creek. Clear Creek is going to be the next one on, yep. the, on my tongue. They're, yep. You know, what an yeah, incredible... Eau de Vie's popular, right, with with geeks and bartenders, yeah, but yeah. it's it genuinely people should explore it more. No, definitely. I I, I love playing around with them. Um, mm. They're kind of like the just the purest um, expression of whatever they're whatever they're distilling, and they're just when they're done well, just incredible. Yeah, and you can get some weird ingredients as well, like Hans Riesitbauer is it yeah, in, in, yeah. from Austria, Cara Eau de Vie's. Yeah. yeah. Go down that route. It's yeah. amazing. And and they also, you know, lots of these things work in different drinks in different ways. And, and again, it's like a really interesting avenue for for just trying stuff, for experimentation. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, adding small small amounts of eau de vie into drinks. You know, it's, it's yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I'm a big proponent of doing that in martinis as well, but I'll, I'll pretty much do anything with martinis. <laughs> um, question number three here. What's the most important piece of advice you've received in this industry? So that's a really good question, um, and I think kind of, kind of the one that sort of stuck with him with me the most, and I guess from working in in relatively you know busy high volume, qu- quite intense you know or, or you can be under some pressure, is to control what you control and forget about the rest. So just you know do worry about what you can do, and and the other parts will all kind of fall into place. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's always stuck with me. And something you have to, I think, do. Otherwise, you know, it would it could become very very difficult very yep. quickly. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of the biggest one. So that that kind of situation whereby maybe you're at the bar, you're behind the bar, you're seeing maybe more folks crossing the door than you would like. What's going on with it? With the you know the hosts that hostess yep. then you yep. know whatever you know people being welcoming. You're like, are there too many? People coming in—that's stressful, right? Yeah, when you see that yeah, happening, yeah, definitely, definitely. But you know, I think you—you you just have to just do what you can do. What, what is your role? What's your job? Keep yep. doing that, and and yeah, the re- the rest will take care of yeah, itself. Somehow. Absolutely, that's great advice, and and definitely, I could have used that back in the day when I was in the kitchen because <laughs> yeah, yeah. that used to stress me out a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, penultimate question here for us today: If you could only visit one last bar in your life, what would it be? So that's a very easy question, actually. Um, Bow Bar in Edinburgh. Okay. So very, very famous, um, just old, old school pub, um, but really, really good ale selection. Um, incredible whiskey on the back bar. I think last time I was there, they were maybe somewhere between four and five hundred, um, and just, just a really lovely place to go and sit with a, a half pint of a good ale and drink some amazing whiskey. Yeah. Um, just one of those places I always just you know when I when I make it back home I definitely go into um, and just 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 love it. Just whenever anyone goes to Edinburgh, I recommend you've got to go there. It's my favourite pub in the world, a bar in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just that that's that's the one. Amazing. Final question for you here today: If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make? That's also I think quite easy. Um, it would be it would be a whiskey highball. Just a, Interesting. Just, yeah, just as simple as it comes. Yeah. Um, I've I've always enjoyed it, but since moving to New York and, and I was going to say enjoying, but I'm going to say enduring a New York summer. <laughs> uh, it's just a just a drink I absolutely love. And again, a little bit like the Rob Roy, you can just go to town with just trying different whiskeys. Yeah. Um, and then just lots of ice, some mm-hmm. good soda water, 
Done. That's it. That's it. Super simple, super refreshing. You can drink it any time of the day. It's just, it's, yeah, that's my, that's, that's my absolute number one. Yeah. A, a good highball, a good whiskey highball is a, is a pure art form, isn't it? It really is. It, and it is. And it also can be, you know, the simplest thing. You can go to pretty much any bar in the world. You know, they might have bad ice and warm glassware <laughs> and, and, and whatever, but you could, you can still throw those ingredients together and it's still going to be what you want. Um, but like, yes, you can go to the opposite end and have wonderful ice and ice cold glassware and, and all these things. And it's, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a truly beautiful drink. Amazing. Well, Adam, thank you so much for joining us today and chatting a little bit about some classic cocktails over a, a can of iron brew. No, thank, thank you for having me and, and, and thank you for the iron brew. It's a, uh, it's a, a great start to my week. It can, only, it can only go down from here. It can only go downhill. And these are probably the last two original cans of, of uh, you know, OG recipe here in New York, unless there's some other fanatics out yeah. there like myself. Please get in contact. <laughs> no, thank you. Thanks for having me. It was amazing. Cheers, Adam. Thank you. Cheers. Okay. I know what you're thinking, folks. That was a lot of info. But here's the good news. Every single episode of Vinepair's Cocktail College is published on vinepair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. If you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe. And please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. And please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded in New York City and produced by myself and Darby Seaside who also composed our awesome theme music. Just give that a listen, folks. I also want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the Vinepair team, especially co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon, editor-in-chief Joanna Sherino, and art director Daniel Grinberg, who designed our killer logo. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time.